Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Thanks for joining me today. Recently, at our annual Mastermind event in San Diego, we had a fabulous audience of 3,000 of our best clients come from all over North America and, and overseas, and we just spent two and a half days together, and I'm hoping to share a number of elements of that uh, show with you over the coming months on our podcast. But one really, really cool thing that happened at this year's Mastermind is I got to meet with and hang out with a guy who I've been a huge fan of his for years. His name is Andy Andrews. And he is, you know, your classic New York Times bestseller who's written a few books I'm sure you'd know very well. The Noticer, uh, The Traveler's Gift is a huge seller and a great book I recommend to everybody. He sold millions and millions of copies. And uh, Andy is a phenomenal communicator, great presenter. He's your classic rags-to-riches story, literally living under a bridge and lost his mother and father in the space of a 12-month period as a very young man and really went from a zero to hero, as they say. So great guy, great story, a great communicator. And I'll be honest with you, it was about the most fun I've had interviewing somebody my whole life. And so we have an awesome show for you today. You're going to learn. You're going to laugh. This guy's talented. He can entertain. He can impersonate. He can tell a great story, and he has a great gift for all of you today. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you take lots of notes. I hope you listen to it several times. This is our gift to you from the traveler named Andy Andrews. Enjoy. All right. Well, the top of the morning to you. Great to be with you here today. I am very excited. I love the way you started that. It's not bad, huh? Top of the morning. <laughs> That's how we start. So very excited to be with you guys today. We're actually backstage at our Mastermind Summit in San Diego. And I have a guest that I have been looking forward to meeting for some time. And uh, we almost didn't record this podcast today because we got <laughs> chatting and talking. And uh, we've been looking to do uh, his presentation. But uh, we have Andy Andrews with us today. And Andy, I want you to know, just great to have you. We're proud to have you at this event. Thanks for taking the time to do this today. Buddy, I have been looking forward to meeting you for so long. Before I was born, people were, <laughs> were telling me, you got to meet this guy. So I'm very excited, and I, I really do mean how much I am honored to be here. Well, likewise. And, you know, you're quite the character. You're uh, an Alabama boy. You went through some hard times early in life, and you figured a few things out, and we'll talk about that. You've sold... Over three and a half million books, which is uh, amazing. Um, wow. Spoken at the request of four presidents, you yep. know. Yep. You've done so many things, whether it's football teams, whether it's political places. You've been there, done that. And that's why, you know, we started this podcast and I said I would only ever bring people who've been there and done that because they're speaking from experience. And the Greeks, you know, their language is richer than ours. Right? They got three words for love and they got three words for this. Right. They got three words for knowledge. And my favorite knowledge is epignosis experiential knowledge and you're a guy I respect not because of your gifts you've been a stand-up comedian a great author influential guy an awesome speaker but you've been there and done that you had a pretty normal life growing up in Alabama and then in the space of one year both your mom and dad passed away yeah and, uh, my, my mom died of cancer my mm -hmm. dad was killed in a car accident so 
crazy time, you know, as you can imagine. But I, I've always had the ability to take a bad situation mm-hmm. and make it worse. <laughs> and I did, boy. I did. I made, I made some bad choices. How old were you when that happened? I was happened? 19. Well, that's, 19. A, that's a pretty tough age. So and it was, it was crazy. But I, I ended up literally homeless before that was mm-hmm. e- even a word. You know, years ago, nobody was talking about homeless people then. Right. That wasn't a term anybody used. But I was living under a pier. And uh, they're on the Gulf Coast and in and out of people's garages, which is not safe or smart. But I did. I, we still live there, actually. I mean, not in, 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 indoors now. We live in the same town. Family's right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the kids under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. But we're like six or seven miles away from yeah. the pier. I, I drive by there often. And it's, it's funny. It's, yeah. it's odd being in that town because it's a little resort town. So 4,000 full-time residents mm-hmm. there. And I, you know, I've been there for a long time, but they really have only known who I was probably for, I don't know, 15 years. And so I'm kind of their author now, right? right. And so, so there are people that don't really connect me, their author, with the, the guy who bathed in the Holiday Inn swimming pool, wow. right? And so, so my wife, she gets kind of nervous sometimes when we go out to eat because she's afraid I, I'm going to blow my cover to the wrong person. Because people will come up and they'll say, oh, I've read your books. And some of them I want to say, really? I slept in your garage. <laughs> I could fish in your yeah. backyard. But it was a crazy it was wow. a crazy time. Now, you know, and it's interesting, and this is the one thing I love about America. Ogmandino, who was one of my all-time favorite authors. Oh, yeah, me too. He, he started being the editor of Success Magazine while he was sleeping in his car. Yeah. You know, and so tell folks a little bit. You know, you get to the point, mom and dad go down. You know, you're 19 years of age. You're living, you know, you're not living in a van down by the river. You're living <laughs> under a pier down by the, down by the pier, Gulf. Yeah. I was looking up at the guy in the van. <laughs> So. And now here you are. Okay, now presidents are calling you, asking you to speak, and now you're this best-selling author. We have 3,000 people in an auditorium who are going to jump to their feet when they know you're coming. How do you get from there to there in the cliff notes? Well, i got, I got to tell you, it is kind of odd to me. Brian, you know the truth, because people will come up to me sometimes and after I speak or something, and they'll say, wow, where have you been? I wish I had met you 30 years ago. And I'm like, you didn't want to meet me 30 years ago. I wouldn't have done you a lot of good. It's taken me that long to learn some stuff. But now, because God allowed me to learn that, I can teach it to you quickly, Mm. right? And so the cliff notes, though, if you want to know the cliff notes, you know, there wasn't a lot of insurance on my dad. And so when my dad died, being the financial genius that I was, I took the entire $2,500 that I got and bought a trailer with it. This was not a mobile home. It was a trailer. There's a, a big difference. And it was a nice trailer. It had a big hole in the kitchen floor. Never had to open the door to sweep it. Just sweep to the hole. But it never occurred to me that I would have to actually pay somebody to move it or pay somebody to put it somewhere. So I'm behind the eight ball right away. And so the, the long story short, this is a long story, because people say, how did you end up under a pier? Well, it took a couple of years, all right? But the cliff note version of that is is this. At first... I had a trailer and a car. Then I had a trailer and a motorcycle. Then I had a motorcycle and a tent. Then I had a tent. Then I was under the pier. So that's the very short a progression. Version. Yeah, that's the progression. It took a couple of years to do that. But. but somewhere along the line, you had all these gifts inside you all along. You had all this talent inside you. You were blessed with it from birth. I met an old man. I met a okay. coach. I met a coach. Okay. Basically, I mean, he didn't call himself a coach, but he was an old man. And... Uh, we called him Jones. We didn't know where he was from, didn't know where he went when he left, didn't know, you know, I mean, we didn't call him Mr. Jones. He was just Jones. We didn't know how old he was, didn't know what was in that suitcase he carried around. But he was the first guy ever to tell me the truth about myself. Hmm. 
And, um, and he started me reading, you know, started me reading biographies. And he really, he shifted the way I viewed things. He talked to me all the time about perspective and about thinking. Mm. And Jones was the guy who told me one time, he said, you got to remember, you can't always believe everything you think. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, he was awesome. And, Where'd you meet him? You know, he showed up under my pier one night, scared me to death. And uh, he had kind of long white hair and was always wearing the same clothes. And I was a, a bitter young man. People ask sometimes, I say, so when you were on the pier, were you sad? And I'm like, no, no. I wasn't sad. Were you like uh, lonely? Nah, not really. Depressed? Nah, no, not really. Really? No. I, I was just mad yeah. all the time. I was mm. mad. And if you say, well, mad about what? I was mad about everything. I was mad at my mother for whatever she did to get cancer. I was mad at my dad for not wearing a seatbelt. I was mad at God for letting it all happen. I, I was mad at the people that I knew for not rescuing me, the people I didn't know for not asking. I, I was mad mm. all the time. Like Joan said to me one time, he said, Well, you know, I have an idea, son, that you are right where God wants you to be at this time. And I said, yeah, well, thanks. I'm not even sure that I believe in God anymore. He said, well, that's okay, because, uh, you know, God still believes in you. And I, I kind of turned away. He said, he said, listen to me. He said, I know that you think you're sleeping on the sand. And he said, I know the bugs get you here, and I know it's real humid, and sometimes it's too cold, and sometimes it's too hot. He said, but there's a reason for things that happened. And as you lay your head down tonight, just know that you are sleeping on fertile ground. And it really turned out to be true. I can trace almost everything that I do today to that time that I was you know, kind of forced to read and kind of forced to think. And, you know, it was... It's like a scene from a movie. I mean, I've got, well, I mean, I can see it in your eyes. It's very I, I know your picture and the guy as you're talking, but you, there was an appointment and there was a messenger right. and there was a message. I ended, I ended up writing a book about him. The, mm. the book is The Noticer. Right. And that's what he, he would right. call himself a noticer. He said, you know, when God was passing out talents, I don't have the cool ones. I can't run fast. I can't sing great. But I notice little things that make a difference in people's mm. lives. Mm. And so I he, love that book, by the way. Thank you. Thank yes. you. I appreciate that. The first chapter of it is totally true. Wow. The rest of it's more, you know, more my imagination, but, sure. the, but the first chapter is totally true. Nothing like speaking from the heart. So you became a student, became reading the biographies, which is a common pattern for people like you and me, because we want to, someone else blaze the trail, someone's else done it, right. it's been there, done that, everything you need is already there. I was the same guy, you know, got a library card, same as you, yeah. and I became a student. I wasn't a good student in school, but I became a good student. Uh, once I got serious about life. Right. And all the answers are there. And you distill them and you distill them. And, and, and you find out over time that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers, all the answers there. But then you package the answers for yourself. Exactly. Then it comes into a point of view, a teachable point of view. I've often heard you say that you kind of knew you wanted to speak, that that was something... Yeah, it's very odd, I, because even when I was a little kid, you know, the, the teachers would say, well, we love Andy, but, uh, we, you know, he needs to, like, not talk so much. But, I mean, you know, but if I said something and the class laughed, oh, yeah. my God, that was like pouring gas on a fire. And uh, I had an eighth-grade teacher one time, I said something, and, and she said, out, out, out of my classroom. And I was horrified, because it was Mrs. McLeod, and I loved her. <laughs> little African-American lady, I just loved her to death. And, and she said, out get out of my class and I walked out in the hall she followed me out and she closed the door and she turned around and she said okay listen 
I think you are funny. You are really <laughs> hilarious. She said, but you got to let me have the class sometimes. She said, you know, you need to pick your moments. Mm. You need to write. He said, she said, because you have a time and you have a way with words. You can write. She was the first person ever to tell me that. But it was, it was odd because even, Brian, when I was starting to speak and, I, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know how to be a speaker. I mean, doing comedy was the only thing I knew to yeah. do. And there weren't any comedy clubs. I, you know, I was just going and begging bands to let me go between their sets. And Smart. so I was performing for people who had, they'd never seen a live comedian in their life. And, and after I got through, they still hadn't seen one. <laughs> it was awful. And you did that for a long time, right? Yeah. You're 20 did, years? Like yeah. That? Oh, yeah. I now, how, how did you, was there somebody you saw and you said, man, man they can do that, I can do that? It was, was there the guys on The Tonight Show. Right. You know, I would see them and I would thought, well, yeah, I think, oh, I'm funny. I can yeah. do that. And, of course, then when I started, I realized that there was a lot more to it. That yeah. these guys were so good because it looked like they weren't doing anything. Mm. It was the illusion of spontaneity. Mm -hmm. it, and they were able to build a relationship through the lens of that camera mm -hmm. with me and make me comfortable with them. Right. And so that's really what I, I had to learn so to do. We were talking about that. We had Jay Leno here last night at our right. event. And, you know, there's a guy that's still doing... 150, 200 gigs a year. Yeah. You know, it's 66 years old. They just, they get that good at their craft. Yeah. But it was a learning time for me because I really feel like, you know, I wanted even then, I wanted to speak. I wanted to make a difference in somebody's mm. life. But, you know, when you're in your 20s, who wants to hear what you got to say, mm. right? And so the way I could do it, the way I could get on stage Smart. was to just to do comedy. And then years later when I was able to, to speak, you know, I, I tell my wife, I say, you know, it's not that I'm really any good. It's just that there's not many people doing what I do because most speakers can tell a joke, but very few can deliver a serious topic with humor. Mm -hmm. And that was nothing in the world but that training right. of, of comedy. But right. I, I toured for two years with Joan Rivers, wow. five years with Kenny Rogers, and nice. toured with Cher and Garth Brooks and Shaka Khan. And, <laughs> you know, so. How wild was that? Yeah, it was great. It was Kenny that one day I determined these seven decisions that ended up in mm -hmm. the book The Traveler's mm -hmm. Gift. And, and it was Kenny who, we were on the bus one night after a show, and he, I was talking about living under the pier, and he was talking about growing up in a garage in Houston with 150 brothers and sisters or whatever yeah, it was. Right. It was a lot of them. Yeah. And I was telling him about these seven things. He said, you need to start doing these in your show. I'm like, in my comedy show? He said, yeah, yeah. And I said, like, how does that work? You know, you just, I'm just be funny, then be serious, then be funny? And he said, yeah. He said, you, you talk, you transition, so just... Do that, you know, and and I, then I then the big question was, do you want me to do it in your show? <laughs> and of course, we were doing do that with sure. Yeah, we were doing arenas then, you know, right? Wow. And he was the biggest yeah, thing right. on the planet. And he the said, gambler. Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, I think so. So he was a gambler. Yeah, and so I started doing that, and people would come up and say, hey, we, you know, we love what you did. That serious part, that was our favorite part, which is not usually what a comedian wants to hear. Sure, right? Yeah. Your serious yes. part was the best part. So <laughs> you chose it. But, but man, that really kind of propelled me because Isn't that. Of that point people start coming up and go hey could you come and talk to our company or come talk to us and do that serious part yeah. now, be funny be funny but but the piece i'm if i'm listening to this the piece i would sync up there is you've grown to a certain level of comfort you're getting paid you're reading this a level of acknowledgement traveling with the people you're talking about for many people is the biggest dream that could ever happen you get a word from someone you respect and then you got to go to us right and you put it in place 
you know, there's many people here that go, man, I wish I could meet a Jones. I wish I could do Kenny Rogers. And they don't know they've already met Jones. They've already met? They've already met Jones. They've already had their Kenny Rogers. Their Kenny Rogers might have been their uncle, their cousin, a worker, someone at church, someone at a, a Little League game they're sitting down on the bench with. And the could kids have been playing. somebody speaking to them through a biography. Could have mm-hmm. been a dead person, mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah. Some of my best stuff has come. Exactly. Uh, especially from books that were written Yeah, long, Winston Churchill. Long time ago. Never met him, but gosh, he has mentored me. Yeah, well, I read a book every morning that was written thousands of years ago, and exactly. that's, that's how I start my day. So, no doubt. And, and so the thing is, you hear it, you have to be humble enough, you have to be resilient enough, and then you've got to be willing to fail and try it. Because you, you had to be willing to, to stand out there in an arena and hear crickets. Right. So you had to take that action. You know, and I know I love Southerners. My wife's a Southerner. It took me a long time to figure out she wasn't a handyman because she was always fixing to do something. I, yeah, I, do, yeah. I, I had to get educated. My Irish technique didn't work with her. It was a, y'all is singular and all y'all is plural. I had to learn that. And, and the point is you guys have a great way of minimizing on occasion the profound. And, you know, in a sweet way because everything's kind of understated. It's the charm of the South. But that's profound stuff that you took the action when other people would have heard that would have been afraid to fail and go for it. And now it creates a pivot point. And now all of a sudden, you're not just the funny guy. Now you're the impactful guy. And now you're on a path that's led to this place where you're this incredibly influential person with a great point of view who still tells it in a really funny way. You know, my whole story, Brian, is of starting again. Mm. Starting again and pushing against the edges Mm. and being uncomfortable until I could get comfortable and then making sure I was uncomfortable again. Mm. You know, it was, I think Zig Ziglar said that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly right. until you get good at it. I saw him in your magazine last night. Yep. I, I love Zig. I always say, I say, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly <laughs> until you get good at it. <laughs> no doubt. Our last episode with his son, Tom, I did the last interview with Zig. That was ever done. I did the audio of his last book. Wow. Because they wanted me to do the audio, but they also wanted me to do his voice occasionally during the book. So I did his voice while Tom was sitting in the studio. And one time I went out and I asked, I said, Tom, do you want the uh, questioning zig? Do you want the uh, statement zig? Or do you want the crazy zig here? And he said, he just looked at me, so what what, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, the questioning zig is, is where he's going... And I just wonder how many times. And I said, and then the statement, Zig, is kind of where he says, and I'll see you at the top. I said, but then the crazy Zig is the kind where he's talking like this and going along. And then all of a sudden they start talking like that. And then they start telling other people like this. Who going to do that? And then if you can do that, I'll see you at the top. He looked up and said, oh, the crazy Zig. Do the crazy Zig. <laughs> Now, that's good. That's good. you got to be born with that, brother. That is awesome. And that's a, a man who's listened to Zig's tapes more than he should have, I would more say. More than I should have, yep. So talk to me about this. You, you're speaking now. You're impacting people. When did the Traveler's Gift come along? Yeah, the Traveler's Gift, it, when I discovered these seven things, and it really came because I read over 200 biographies, mm-hmm. and this was before I really kind of started coming out from under the pier. and. Mm-hmm. And I was really formed a graph in my mind about those seven things. Well, you know, I read Greatest Salesman in the World mm. over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And the one thing that I knew about biographies and about Greatest Salesman, it was a story. Okay, it was a story. And I also had begun to understand, because I hated biographies in school. 
I wouldn't read them. Mm. I mean, I just hated them. I always knew there were biographies because it had just the name on there, right? right? Yeah. And Jones must have known that because the first three books he gave me, he gave me Winston Churchill, George Washington Carver, and Will Rogers. And I looked at him and I didn't know what to say. I said, biographies? And he said, no, no, these are adventure stories. They're mysteries and romances and thrillers, and they're all true. And that just kind of hit me in an odd way. And I, I've come to believe that, man, I would have been into history a long time ago if I'd have ever had a history teacher that had the guts to come in and say, okay, close your books. Today, we're not going to study history. Today, I'm just going to tell you a story. Right. And then at the end of class, say, okay, the story I just told you is on page 432. Right. And so stories connect. They connect with me. I, and I tell people, gosh, they make the smart authors write the nonfiction books. People yeah. like me have to write stories. It's the only way I can remember right. anything. Right. So I took those seven decisions and I put them into a story mm-hmm. of the Traveler's Gift. It's a story about a, that I, I thought people could relate to. You know, a story about a family going through a tough time. And the dad gets to travel through time meeting with seven historical figures who are also going through a tough time in their own life. He gets to be with, uh, you know, King Solomon, right? After he says, bring me the sword and I'll tell you whose baby this is. Mm-hmm. He, he gets to be with Columbus across the years. He gets to be with Anne Frank in the annex and talk with her and question her and watch this. And so each of these seven historical figures give this man a different decision that if he puts it in his life, things will change. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was the story of it. And I've had so many coaches, you know, I work with a lot of football coaches mm-hmm. and I've had so many coaches tell me this is kind of funny and I don't say anything to them when they say this, but they, they say, you know, we have our kids read, you know, a book every year. And I'm like, really? A book a year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They give them college degrees. Right. After four years of playing football, I got a degree. <laughs> they'll, they'll say, well, all the books we've ever had them read. Boy, they sure like The Traveler's Gift and, and The Notice. That's like their favorite book. I always say, well, thank you very much. But I don't say, it's because it's a story. Right. It's a story. Yeah. You're, you're engaging with a story. Right. And you've done great work with all of these teams, and I know you've had your hands in all these teams that have won national championships and, well, and awesome stuff I like just, that. I, I love storytellers, and I love, you know, Og Mandina, that you mm. would talk about Og. That is like, you know, I had somebody in, in one of the reviews of Traveler's Guild. I'll tell you who it was. It was Charlie Tremendous Jones. Sure. Remember him? Yep. And uh, he compared the Traveler's Gift favorably to, you know, some of Og's work, yeah. and it was like the greatest compliment no, totally. I could have ever gotten. So, I mean, that's a, I've memorized the greatest salesman in the world, and I love the Traveler's Gift because it took me to a place. Og had a great spirit of, of storytelling. And yeah. I, I like that when I'm training salespeople, I let them know facts tell, but stories sell. That's right. And you got to tell people stories. Here's a little odd question for you. You've written a bunch of books. I've done some things in my life where I've poured my heart into soul into something, and I, it was this incredible content, and for whatever reason, it did not get received in the marketplace the way other things I did that I wasn't sure were that good went bananas. Right. What of your books, you've done 25 books, what one that you, you go, man, this is a The killer. Heart Mender. Which one? The Heart Mender. The Heart Mender. It's the best thing I have ever done. And it kills me that, I mean, a lot of others have, you know, gone on the New York Times bestseller list. That one did not. And to this day, the people who read it say, that's the best book you've ever written. And I say, thank you so much. Because it's a story. The story blows me away. It's a story about when, back in, in 1942, when German submarines were in the Gulf of Mexico 
actually sinking American ships. And Roosevelt and everybody kind of hid it. And to this day, people don't know that this happened. You can go on the Internet and find it Mm. easily. Mm. But uh, the story is about a young officer who considered himself a German, not a Nazi. Mm. And he was betrayed by a political officer on board the ship and, and wounded, made it to shore. A young American war widow finds him. And when she realizes that he's a German, she almost kills him and is ready to turn him in. But he says something. I won't tell you what he says. He says something, and she changes his mind. And the story is about how they hide, why they hide, and what happens because of it in 1942, small-town America. And the story starts out in present day, Mm. and it ends in present day. Well, here's the good news. You got one copy sold this afternoon, (laughs) and there's 200,000 people listening to this. Oh, my gosh. And I know the process myself. From going through it. What of yours? Well, I've done some work. Like, we've built training programs that have revolutionized whole industries. Sure. I built one that was, it was by far the best training program anybody's ever seen for helping someone run a business. And the day we launched was the day the market died. And we were launching it through one particular company that was at the center of the recession. And it literally, the day we released it, it's kind of like... Launching the Titanic uh, the day the icebergs start flowing. You follow? You're right. And, uh, it, you know, so something like that. I've also, I have a book in me that I, I've been working on for some time that I wrote 20 years ago and I've rewritten it and over and over again. And it's, it's like the book that won't go away. So that it's just going to be your best thing. <clears throat> it's going to be your best thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a timing thing. And that, yeah. and that program that you launched, yeah. you watch. Yeah. You watch. I mean, even the Titanic, man. Even the Titanic. I mean, Titanic, what? It cost $3 million to make that ship. It cost $100 million to make the movie. <laughs> and, and look at what the story has yep. done through That's the years, right. right? So we believe that for the heart, man. Hey, I've got, I've got a, a book that I would love to give to your listeners okay. that I think that you would That'd get a kick out of. Okay. And I know that you have heard of this, but I'm going to tell you something about this book that that, uh, is kind of a secret. I know you've probably heard of Elbert Hubbard Mm -hmm. and A Message to Garcia. Yes. Okay. This book, most people hadn't even heard of it. I knew you would have heard of it, but most people hadn't even heard of A Message to Garcia. This was written at the end of the Spanish-American War. And it was written by this guy named Elbert Hubbard, which if when you look at our guys, the guys we look at, Zig and Ogmandino, Charlie Tremendous Jones, Napoleon Hill, all, all these people, we look at them. They looked at him. Mm-hmm. They looked at Elbert Hubbard. Mm-hmm. A Message to Garcia was the very first, it was the original inspirational book. Personal growth book, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It was a very small, very, I mean, you can read it in 15, 20 minutes, very small. But when he died, and Elbert Hubbard died on the Lusitania. Right. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's in one of my books, uh, The Lost Choice. But anyway, uh, Elbert Hubbard, when he died, A Message to Garcia had already sold 50 million copies. And to this day, now, the book has moved over 100 million copies. So you could make the case this is the best-selling personal growth book of all time. Absolutely. All right? Now, get this. I found... That in 100 million copies, all that time, there had never been an audio version of this book. And so I got the rights to do it. And I did it. And I've got it. And I would love to give all your listeners. And so here's all you have to do is if you text 33444. That's a text number. I know it doesn't sound like that. But 33444 and in the message, put one word. 
persist, then the machine will, yeah, co- sure. will come back to you and will send you uh, an audio version of me doing wow. a message to Garcia. Wow. It's absolutely free, and I would love for you to have okay. it. Okay, so 33444. We'll also have it in the show notes. Text persist. And... The Traveler just gave you a gift, boys and girls. So, Mr. Jones, we brought him. You might not be living under a pier, but we just brought you a gift today. And you're getting your first book to get down the path. You've got to be on stage here in a few minutes. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions okay. to finish up. And, by the way, we could have about a seven-part series here, you oh, and man. I. I. I love talking to you. Yeah. I love uh, talking to you. For one thing, you, you ask unusual questions unusual ways. That, you know, and that, that's the Irish. You're, you're very good at this. You're very good at this. <laughs> it's the Irish thing. It's the Irish thing. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Best piece of advice I've ever gotten is to look in the other direction. It was from Jones. Mm. He said, the answers are a matter of timing. He said, sometimes right in the middle of a crisis, an answer does not exist. Mm. Answers can be a matter of timing, the best answer. And he said, but people are so addicted to slamming an answer, you know, take that round answer and slam it in that square hole. He said, you'll get something, but it won't be the best. He said, the thing that you need is perspective. Mm-hmm. Perspective, well, there's you know, possible answers all around you. Perspective is the other direction. He said, you have to choose perspective. Mm-hmm. But perspective will bring calm. Calm leads to clear thinking. Clear thinking yields ideas. And from ideas, you'll get those answers in the proper time. Love it. One talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Invisibility. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were That's wanting, good. That's but, great. But you know, I've got little boys, and they love, they love all that stuff. So invisible. Or to fly, Brian. I would like to fly with a cape. Um, I think I'm pretty good at discernment, but I would, I would love to be able... I don't know. That's something I'm always working with and I'm always thinking about because I I really, my mission in my life is to help people live the lives that they would live Mm -hmm. if they only knew how to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking for answers. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for answers for people. So be able to discern and really cut through and find out where their heart's really at. Yeah, just a greater understanding. Mm -hmm. A greater understanding, maybe. And invisibility. Yeah, Yeah, sure, because then you get to be a superhero and a hero to the kids, which I all like. What book has been most instrumental in your life? You know, I definitely say the Bible, and if I if I have to get in, then give me a character. In particular, it would be uh, King Solomon. Yeah. You know, King Solomon uh, he makes an appearance in the Traveler's Gift, and mm-hmm. and and I'm not just saying the Bible just because you would you know you kind of have to say the Bible. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'll ask people that question. I'll say, Oh, what's your favorite book? And you can't say the Bible. You know, who yeah, would right. you like to have dinner with? And yeah. you can't say Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But sure. I really do spend a ton of time with Psalms and Proverbs. And the reason is because, you know, parenting-wise, Solomon was parented by David. Mm -hmm. Well, Solomon was the wealthiest human Mm -hmm. ever to exist on the planet, and historians say he was the wisest person who existed on the planet. So you could make a case that this was the highest form of humanity, mm. you know, that was a real human, not, not God, right. you know, but th- this is the, kind of the best thing by turned out, right? right? And so he tells people stuff all the way through that, mm. all right? Well, he was the wealthiest because he, he was a king. Well, how do kings make their money? Through taxes. Okay, so he's telling the people of his kingdom 
do this, do this, do this. He wants to tell them, the, he has the motivation to tell them the absolute truth because he wants their lives great because he knows if their families are peaceful, their businesses will be better, they'll make more money, there'll be more taxes. I mean, you can just follow the yeah. motivation. Sure. And then I, I, I like Psalms because David was Solomon's dad. Mm-hmm. Well, David, Singer. I read Psalms and I think, this guy was a mess. He was a mess. I mean, if we had Xanax today, David, I mean, you know, Psalms would have never been written if he'd had Xanax back then. Because he's happy, he's sad. God loves him, God hates him. He's, you know, he's going to do the right thing, then he'll do the wrong thing. I mean, he's just crazy. And, and, but, I, but I read that and I think, you know, sometimes I'm kind of a mess. Yeah. And so if somebody that's that big a mess can actually be the dad of a Solomon. And Solomon's a favorite character because, you know, he also screwed up. You, you right. know, if you look at, at there's a, a book of Ecclesiastes right. that, that where he kind of tells, he said, man, I tried this, I tried this, I tried parties, I tried women, I tried this. And, you know, even though I knew, I just tried and it was all a disaster. I mean, yeah. you, you can ju- you see the guy's life. Well, I'm very confident there's one area of our lives we are smarter than Solomon, and that is we married right and stuck with the right one. That's true. So, um, and greatest salesman in the world. Yeah, right? so, okay. And, you know, you know Solomon had like 700 wives. Yeah, I know. Do you know that? Uh, I mean, no. I told my wife, I said, I, I just found out Solomon had so My wife said, good grief, why, why would... Anybody have 700 wives. And I, I actually said, I don't know, maybe he was hoping he'd go home and find one of them in a good mood. So, <laughs> oh, not not the right thing to say to my wife. What does Zig used to say? I don't know why men try other women. I wake up with a different woman every morning. Right? <laughs> so, favorite song or artist? Favorite song. You know, right now, I love that song, I Drive Your Truck. Because mm. I, I, have you heard yes, it? Yeah, because I, I, I just, I think that's such a, an emotional song. You know, maybe, you, I, I don't know, I like a lot of songs from the 70s. Yeah. Those, are, those are favorite songs. Yeah. But you're in a car, you're looking for a little good mood. You're going to an event, you're, you're looking for a little juice. I like walking on sunshine. Sure. I like walking on sunshine. Yeah. I also, ask me my favorite old television show. Okay, go for it. No, you got to ask me. Okay. What is your oldest favorite television uh, show? The Andy Griffith Show. Uh, yeah. It's the greatest show in the history of television. I agree. There is no other show like that. Don't even argue with me yeah. about this. I can give you many different reasons. Also, just so you know, I own the squad car from the you second season. You yes, do I do. Yes, I do. Okay, now we're, we're, we might have to have an intervention here in a minute. So, Andy Griffith was not in Ireland. We didn't get to watch that show. But my kids, you know, there's so much garbage on TV. I started all my kids off. I love Lucy. Andy yeah. Griffith. And so, you know, I've listened to all of the, you know, I never heard of Gomer Pyle before, but it's in the, been in the back of my car playing the DVD for years or in the house or whatever else. And one time we were in Hawaii having a little family vacation, and I have my two little eight-year-old twins at the time. They're 14 now. And they're having this conversation. And there's a waitress coming by, and she's an older lady. And Andy goes, i got to tell you, that Jack Benny, he just kills me. No, no, no. Let me tell you, I, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, what I like is Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith is a, and, they, and they keep going back and forth. Well, when Lucy said this, but Desi said that, and whatever else. And finally, the waitress, she's hearing this, she goes, who are you people? And she goes, how do you know who Jack Benny is? Yeah, but it's yeah. still the greatest oh, stuff. It's great. I, I was listening to Gomer Pond the other night, I said, if they could write shows like that today, I'm telling you, it would sell out all over. Yeah, I mean, in our house, I, I still, you know, somebody puts pie out and they'll say, you want a piece of pie? <laughs> if you want a piece of pie, I'll have a piece of pie. If you don't want a piece of pie, I don't believe I'll have one. <laughs> you know, we'll pull up the gas station and I, I'll say, you want gas or water and iron? Water and iron is free. We do make a charge for gas, though. 
Hey, I can tell why you held him up for, for all those years doing the stand-up. Let me tell you. I wish we had 10 hours to spend. We will do uh, for these guys. We'll do more. Uh, you and I are going to spend some time together, and I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for doing this today. I know this is on, you know, you're going to go on stage here in a minute. I, I'd like to create a little more space for you <laughs> before you go on and do your thing. But uh, just what a blessing. And uh, there's more is caught than taught, and we both know that. Wow. Yeah. And um, right. there's going to be a lot caught from this recording today that we didn't even know we gave somebody. You're a gift that the traveler dropped off. Buddy, I appreciate you. I appreciate you and Bev, your lives, and the influence and example you set. It's a good life. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining in today. Keep living the good life. Until we see you next time, God bless. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I certainly did. Andy is a great, great thought leader, and I hope it was inspirational, encouraging. And wherever you are in your journey, I hope elements of Andy's story will help you in your life today. You know our goal here at the Brian Buffini Show is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So what we want you to do is just share the show with someone you care for. If you know somebody at work or in your personal life that you think would benefit from hearing this kind of content, please share it with them. We'd like to help them too. And don't forget to head over and leave a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean. I love hearing your feedback. Uh, The reviews also help us spread the word. And they let me know the kind of stuff that you're really enjoying about the show. So as I finish here today, I leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.